Hey everyone, welcome back to Boat Weather, the podcast, the podcast where every week myself, Adrian, and Matt talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, I wanted to make sure to let you all know that the easiest way to support us is to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us and helps get our ratings up. But if you want to support us a little more, you can head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butwhythopc. And as always, enjoy the show. Welcome back to But Why the Podcast, and today we are finding out who was coming to get Barbara. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And a special guest, Carolyn, uh, from So Here's What Happens podcast, the host, uh, one of the hosts of the Saturday Night Sci-Fi live tweets, which are amazing and you need to check out, and she's a writer, and she just does everything. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Hello. Hey, Carolyn. Thanks for coming on to talk about... What Kate's going to introduce in a second? <laughs> no <Yeah>. problem. <laughs> I don't want to take her thunder by introducing stuff. <laughs> We're talking about Night of the Living Dead and pretty much what it's done. Mm-hmm. So that that's the topic. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I if, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know I love horror. You know the guys are okay with being on an episode about horror. So I'm here so I don't get fined. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I'm here because the only horror I can go with is zombies, because I think zombies are interesting. Really? Only zombies? Yeah. There's lots of variety in zombies, and lots of comedy with zombies, which isn't like with other horror it, stuff. So well, that's true, it's true. I just don't know a whole lot, so... And I'm here because I just like horror. <laughs> Me too, basically. But the real question is, why is Carolyn here? Why I'm here? I love horror. Um, but honestly, I only started getting back into horror actively within the last few years because I used to watch a lot of it back in back when I was younger. Probably I started way too young. Um, I used to read like Goosebumps. I read like, a, like Anne Rice. Um, what's her name? It's Anne Rice. Yeah, and I, was, yeah. And I read a whole, and I used to read books about like Walcott and stuff, but then I'm like, I had some experiences, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take a break. Because um, <laughs> I'm from the Caribbean, and we don't deal with like the Walcott, like we like, with, like grew up in a heavy Christian influence but, um, home and like community, so it's like, we don't deal with like the Walcott stuff, like witches and spells, that's not my tea. But I started to get back into it a few years ago because... I've always liked sci-fi and supernatural and harvest together. So, you know, like on um, Underworld, uh, World War Z, the... Um, oh, I'm drawing a complete blank. Oh, my gosh, the Umbrella Corporation. Umbrella Corporation, that's... Oh, Resident Evil franchise and those ones. So, like, I like those kind of horrors. But then I watched um, Train to Busan, and that just reunited my love of horror again. <laughs> 
and I take any opportunity to talk That's about really, that. That's really, really great to hear. <laughs> awesome. And we'll talk about mm-hmm. it at the end because I think Trader Busan brought a lot of people who were burnt out on zombies back mm-hmm. in. So, so our opening question this episode is what is a zombie? Adrian, do you want to go first? Um, the thing there is that... a correct answer apparently to this. Oh, there's a correct answer. Uh, I feel like there is. Why did I go first? Uh, <laughs> zombies. I don't. It's so hard. I don't know. I don't know because whatever I'm gonna say is gonna be wrong. Because no, 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 it's knowledge. not gonna be wrong. No, no, no. Because like the, mm, brain okay. dead gonna things tell you that eat people that can be either slow or fast depending on the movie, but they're they eat brains. And you're supposed to shoot them in the face to kill them. That's, yes. that's a zombie. Not just the face. Okay. It has to be the brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't hit the nose and they die. Exactly. Get, yeah. See? See? I told you. Why didn't Matt go actually, this, actually, you'll see down at the end, um, There, there's a relation to what you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Matt? I was not prepared for this, <laughs> I'm going to go with, uh, obviously, they eat brains if they are not alive. And they have, that's about it. They're just <laughs> dead. They're just dead things that walk around and want to feed. Okay. That's, <laughs> um, I define a zombie as anything that is cannibalizing another human being with no control of their faculties. Mm, that's interesting. Well, for me, I see a zombie <laughs> as something that died medically but became reanimated and somehow functions in has enough function to walk, breathe, and eat and see and sense. So basically they're alive. So like as Jared A. Romero <laughs> so wonderfully titled them the living dead. So basically and they always start we never know exactly what starts it. We don't know what virus, how the virus like affects the brain, that kind of stuff. So we never know exactly how. I, your ears was very, very prepared and detailed. So I'm glad we have you on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that is like the perfect transition into what we're talking about because The Night of the Living Dead is a 1968 American independent horror film written and directed and photographed and edited by George A. Romero. It was also co-written by John Russo, and it stars Dwayne Jones and Judith O'Day in the main roles. And the story follows seven people who are trapped in a rural farmhouse in western Pennsylvania, which is besieged by a large and growing group of living dead monsters. Um, the reason we're covering it is because The Night of the Living Dead is one of the cornerstones of horror cinema. In general, it defines what we know of as zombies, and we'll get into that in the book, Why Those, and it is constantly being referenced most recently in Jordan Peele's Get Out. Um, so the film itself was completed on a $114,000 budget and was shot outside Pittsburgh, where it had its theatrical premiere on October 1st of 1968. The film what, what, and- What was the budget again? 114000 Okay. Did I missay that? No, you're right. You sound like you said a... Yeah, I no, you're that. right. But okay. 
It sounded like you said 114. <laughs> yeah, I think that is what she said. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I wasn't crazy. Okay. I was like, what? Carolyn, what? <laughs> I was so thrown off. I was like, I'm going to ask her again. Okay, 114,000. 114,000 is the correct number of what this movie was made on. Um, and it ended up grossing $12 million domestically and $18 million international. And internationally, which means that it grossed over 250 times its budget. Mm-hmm, which is amazing. Which is crazy. Like, um, Night of the Living Dead has been regarded as a cult classic by film scholars and critics, uh, despite it being heavily criticized when it was released because of its explicit gore. It eventually garnered critical acclaim and has been selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry as it was deemed culturally historically and aesthetically significant um so not every old film makes it into the library of congress um so to cover the cast um you have dwayne jones's ben in unknown uh it started out as he started out as an unknown stage actor and jones perf- uh performance depicted ben Cassina jones as the hero was potentially controversial in mm-hmm. 1968 um because it was not typical for a black man to be a hero in an american film when the rest of the cast was also composed of white actors but romero and romero has said this multiple times that jones was the best person for the job to embody this character and so he got the job um he gave the best audition um judith o'day was a 23 year old commercial and stage actress um carl hardman was (laughs) harry cooper one of the film's producers um, and Hardman is also the voice of the newscaster heard on the radio in Johnny's car. Um, and Johnny is Barbara's brother. Um, uh, Marilyn Eastman started as Helen Cooper, and Eastman also played a female ghoul who was eating an insect. Keith Wayne was Tom. Judith Riley was Judy. Um, and I, one of the reasons why I just kind of wanted to run through a little bit of the cast, at least, was to point out that a lot of these people either played ghouls as well, and ghouls is what they were called in Night of the Living Dead. So instead of using zombies, they were referred to as ghouls. And so one of the cool things is that Night of the Living Dead, even though it is the... Uh, the foundation of the modern zombie movie, they never once say the word zombie in the movie at all. And Romero himself, not until later on, referred to them as that. Um, so what's the difference between a zombie and a ghoul? Uh, nothing really. Honestly. Yeah, a ghoul is just a, a term that was, it's like an old English term, actually, that they would have used for that period, that time period. So I think zombies are more... Um, modern term in 20th century term but ghoul is like more um victorian era edwardian era so it's basically anything supernatural anything any creature that was man-like but was like uh vicious and dangerous question i have one as well i was just waiting for uh, a point to ask so on episode eight of our podcast way in the way back machine we had a conversation about uh, undead versus infected mm-hmm. humans. I just didn't know if Carolyn had any thoughts on that, on if there's like a difference in relation to zombies, or if they're just like you said, just different things to call. Or is it? Sorry. <laughs> well, never mind. So, I don't want to read the notes, man, because sometimes I... We'll file that away till later. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess we'll file that uh... Good job, Adrian. But, job. Um, but can I... Wait, can I ask... Can I answer um, Matt's question? I, I, I just Googled yeah. the word where the word zombie came from, so I just looked it up on Wikipedia. So it's actually 
a Haitian Creole is um, based off of a Haitian Creole word, um, zombie, Z-O-N-B-I. So it's, it's a, which is a fictional undead being created through the reanimation of a human corpse. So, oh. so that's where the word actually comes from. I'm looking to see if it says, well, the word was first, the English word was first recorded in 1819 um, in a history of Brazil by the poet Robert Southey in the form of zombie, Z-O-M-B-I. So Oxford Dictionary gives the origin of the word as West African, which makes sense of his Haitian Creole. It compares it to the Congo word Nzambi, which means God, and Zumbi, Z-U-M-B-A, which means fetish. That's really cool. That's a pretty good name. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, and that and that's really cool, and that's one of the reasons. Um, so I, I knew that it came from the Caribbean um, because before, and this comes in a little bit later, um, but that, the like the Caribbean zombie, or I believe the Haitian zombie, is mm. what we see in horror up until this point. Um, yeah. And then everybody essentially takes that term and then starts applying it to what George A. Romero created. And then like, um, like Carolyn said, he just called these ghouls. It was co-written as a horror comedy. Um, like I said, by Russo and Romero under the title monster flick initially. Mm. And an early an early screenplay draft concerned the exploits of adolescent aliens who visit Earth and befriend human teenagers. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> a second version of the script featured a young man who runs away from home and discovers rotting human corpses that aliens use for food scattered across a meadow. Russo oh. came up with the concept that they would have been, that they would be the recently dead only because they could not afford to bring long dead people out of their graves. <laughs> He also came up with the idea that they would have to be flesh eaters. So in the final draft of the script, written mainly by Russo during three days in 1967, focused on reanimated human corpses, which is where we get Carolyn's definition. Um, Romero refers to them as ghouls, like I said, um, that consume the flesh of the living. In a 1987 interview with BBC's Forbidden Weekend, Romero explained that the script developed into a three-part short story. Part one became Night of the Living Dead, and sequels Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead were adapted from the two remaining parts of that. Romero also talked about drawing uh, inspiration from Richard Matheson's I Am Legend from 1954, which was a horror novel about a plague that ravages futuristic Los Angeles. Yes, it is the Will Smith movie. <laughs> That poor dog. Man, I know. The, the dog, dog and the mannequin. Eh, the dog. Broke my heart. <laughs> um, so in I Am Legend, the affected become vampire-like creatures that prey on the uninfected. Discussing the creation of Night of the Living Dead, Romero remarked, I had written a short story, which I basically ripped off of Richard Matheson's novel called I Am Legend. <laughs> um, so this is a fact that I didn't know before looking it up. And I don't think a lot of people know that, that essentially um, the line between vampire and zombie is super, super small, especially when you think about the modern one with Romero. Because um, they... Isn't it just like brain activity? Huh? Isn't it just really brain well, activity? Well, vampires don't eat flesh. Yeah, they just they want the blood. blood. And mm. they also have the ability to decide to control who they turn and who they don't turn because every vampire bite does not result in someone turning into a vampire. You can either die because of bl blood loss 
or you survive and some and they they then they like i guess whatever enzymes whatever they select who they want to turn into a vampire whereas for a zombie you get bitten turn into a zombie you die period yeah and that seems to be like the common theme throughout almost all zombie lore you yeah get, you, you bite you die other things change sometimes but that's like standard mm-hmm. <laughs> um uh, well, die and reanimate, or just die sometimes. I yeah, well, you know, well two choices. die from infection or a lot blood loss, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, that was really, really quick, and that's because it. I want to get into kind of what this movie starts, because it is the foundation. Um, so, when you look at the plot of the movie, it's really, really simple, and it's kind of, um, although that this, this starts its own subgenres of horror, so zombie and splatter, Ultimately, it does run like a containment horror movie that we get now. So a lot of it is confined into one setting. Everybody is confined into one farmhouse. And then they have to essentially pick where to defend. Um, The really cool thing that ends up happening in it is you end up like delving into these like really, really creepy areas. Like the best place to defend would be the attic. But they won't go into the attic because Barbara's terrified of a dead body that's up there. Hmm. Right out the window. Right, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I was like, uh, this is already, once again, why I don't like horror movies. Well, but they call out how bad the the, the logic is so many times. But Barbara is just, she's going to be Barbara. Um, she's she's a hindrance. Yeah, she is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> she is so bad. She's out she's, of. Let's be real. Of she's a typical white woman in horror. Like, really, chick, just sit down in a corner. And... Yeah. She, we're gonna go down to the basement, guys. No. If the zombies get in the house, you have nowhere to go. Um, <laughs> but one of the really, really great things about the movie is it gives us some really, really terrifying shots. And I don't know. I mean, have you guys seen? Has everybody here seen Night of the Living Dead? I have. Nope. I've seen Shaun of the Dead. Is that, is no. that the same thing? No. I've seen that one. <laughs> no. no. Is it not, not the same thing? Oh, okay. Well, I was genuinely afraid of it when I was little. And my cousin probably showed it to me when I was way too young. But then again, my grandma was scaring me with La Llorona when I was four. So I it, it probably was no different. Um, but when you watch the film, one... The fact that Romero shot it in black and white makes it that much more terrifying and it holds like it holds that terrifying atmosphere a lot better than if it was in color because there is a colorized version. Um, And then on top of that, he uses shots that show these zombies are so human like. They're not like the zombies that you get in his later movies like Day of the Dead or Land of the Dead or even the current zombies that we have now, which most of the time, like, they look entire they have veins and they look, they look completely different than human. Like, they're, they're more distance from humanity than they are close to it. And in the original Land of the Living Dead, they were us, which is a really big piece and a really important um, statement that... Romero chose to make and why he chose to do this um, why he chose pretty much the majority of his career to use zombies or infections to tell his stories mm-hmm. um, and so with Night of the Living Dead you actually have the emergence of what uh, is called social horror and what this means is essentially zombies are not about zombies 
Um, there's nope. a Smithsonian article that I I have cited. So if you're if you're a Patreon, if you're a patron of our Patreon, um, my sources are included in these notes that I'll put up on the Patreon. Um, there is a Smithsonian article that breaks down how zombies have never been about zombies, and ultimately how they're used to tell stories about us, which is what the majority of horror does. Horror has almost always been used as a vehicle to showcase societal fears, especially in genres like uh, literature or pulp magazines and stuff like that. But ultimately in the 50s and 60s, you get this large focus on um, like horror rompy, but you get a large swath of focusing on different types of Draculas and focusing on different types of Frankensteins. And it's not necessarily in-depth and it's not always making commentary. Well, what George A. Romero did was essentially he infused and dramatized social issues within his movies. It's also one of the reasons why when people call him a filmmaker, they also call him a satirist. Um, because in mm. his other movies, like uh, Dawn of the Dead, is very much a satirical commentary on culture. Um, but specifically in Night of the Living Dead... It's, um, and, and I'm going to use Jordan Peele as a reference here because he's, if you're listening to this and you love horror, you're excited for us, but you also watch Get Out. And Jordan Peele has mm -hmm. provided a lot of commentary on Night of the Living Dead um, ever since Get Out came out because he, he sees it as one of the foundations of his movies and a lot of horror movies that have come after. Um, he's mentioned, and so he's mentioned how this is the foundation of social horror and horror more general. Um, so one of the things to remember is Ben wasn't written as black initially. The actor played him because he was, he was the best actor. Um, but ultimately what happens is even though Romero has said to NPR, um, we never thought of it being a, ra a racial piece at all. Never. We were talking much more about how people remain stuck in their own agendas, even though there's something extraordinary going on outside. By casting Ben as a black man, they were able to essentially there's another layer put on top of that commentary especially for the time in the 60s um and it's really important and it's something that if you notice um if you ever watch the movie um if you haven't watched the movie yet and you're listening to this right now i really recommend you go watch it um ben is always in control of situations but you can tell all of the people around him all of the other people in the farmhouse don't like that he's in control of situations and there's a lot of um just there's a little there's subtle racism going on a lot of the time or it feels like it um and it creates a lot of tension inside of the farmhouse to where you're not in in kind of akin to how zombie movies and zombie shows are now there's tension within the humans as well as the tension against the humans and the zombies well, yeah, because let's be real. The main tension between the humans is because Ben is black yep. and he's basically being he's taking control of a situation where he is the dominant personality and he's the one who's like getting shit done. And, you know, the white people just don't like that. They didn't like it because, again, this was filmed. This was done in 1968 when at the height of the civil rights era and also Jim Crow was still in effect and you and you had police brutality and the police were like regularly um tormenting and persecuting um black people in the streets and so it was reflected it's in real life but it was also reflected on on screen right and um yeah and where which is uh, we were discussing this recently on the podcast with horror noir and it's also mentioned in the horror noir documentary as well where even though he didn't 
Romero casted Dwayne Jones because he was literally the best for the role, he, as a white man, didn't see the social impact mm -hmm. that casting a black man in this role would have. And which kind of shows like, he, the, which kind of shows like when there's certain, especially with discussions about race, where I'm going to be completely honest, some way people are, have, they look through everything with either rose tinted glasses or they wear blinders. They're like, I'm only going to see the perspective that I want to see. And he didn't see, to him, he was like, oh, he was seeing it through the camera lens of filming and the script that he wrote, but he didn't see it as a viewer, which I think is kind of ironic. And it, he didn't I, he didn't have the perspective of sitting back and like looking at the broader picture so yeah like so that's all reflected in the in the in what happens in the film because these people could not deal with a black man telling them where to go and if you look at i'm trying to remember from from memory um because i saw the film like years ago and i looked at some clips but a lot of the angles are shot where Dwayne um Dwayne joe's ben is usually placed on a visual scale where he's higher or bigger than the other characters. So like there are shots where the camera's like down low, but based on perspective, he looks like bigger and taller, which is like a visual representation of his dominant personality over the white characters and the situation. Yeah, the majority of the film is shot to show that Ben is the one, like Ben is the hero. There yeah. is never a question that Ben is the hero and Ben is going to either be the one that gets them out or Ben is gonna be the last person alive um yeah makes all but the then right the end happens the end happens <laughs> which the is very end. important and we're working the our way to end. End. <laughs> yeah so so <clears throat> out of all these characters we talk about the interaction stuff so like who allowed barbara to say let's go to everybody. the everybody everybody yes but but that's a trope that has been carried into horror films action films exactly. basically any genre of film from from then up until now because <laughs> Again, the bad white ladies have to happen. Bad decisions have to happen, but a lot of bad decisions happen because the, the the white lady is must be protected at all costs, and her her say is the one that matters over everyone's safety. They're like, we all know this is a terrible idea, but you know she's the fragile flower, so we must protect her and we must do what she wants. I would have been like, you know what, Barbara, you on your own. <laughs> You want to go to the <laughs> cellar? Go right ahead. You're not going to put me in this mousetrap. <laughs> so uh, everybody here, who would have left Barbara? Oh, Barbara. Adrian? I'd leave all of you. <laughs> you would leave all of us. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Self-preservation is key. Am I, am I married to Barbara? No, you're not married to Barbara. Do I have any emotional... I've never seen the movies. Do I have any emotional connections to no, Barbara? No, you are just people surviving in a house because you are... Oh, no. Nah, she's, she's out of here. <laughs> okay. What if rat. you are married to Barbara? Oh, yeah, what if you were married to Barbara? Then I gotta stay with Barbara, man. Was... Kate, I'm leaving you. We are going oh, to no, the roof. Oh, no, that's fine. We're, we're like either this. both gonna make it up to the roof or one of us is, but we're gonna die trying to get up there because I'm, I'm not going to the basement. Yeah, no, yeah, like I'm care if I'm married to Barbara, I'm literally throwing Barbara over my shoulder and carrying Barbara up to wherever. Exactly, I'd be like, you can argue. I'd be like, when we survive and alive and alive the next day, then you can argue with me. Until then, Barbara, keep hush, hush, just because <laughs> that's a smart yeah, decision. If, yeah, if my if my SO is still weaker than me, I'm I'm carrying her through. Through the uh, through the upstairs, we're not going downstairs. And it was really a stupid reason too. It was just that she was terrified of this dead body that was up there. 
Again, if some um, throwing the body out the window. Which is, I'm just like... Literally the only movie I've ever known that, like, worked of going to the basement was, like, Signs. Oh, I thought you were going to say... I thought you were going to say, um, A Quiet Place. Because that's the first thing that came to my mind. That's what I was, that's what I was thinking, too. I was thinking A Quiet Place, too, but that was a little bit different, because those monsters <laughs> were scary. Like, anywhere you would have gone, you would have been screwed. The, the gun was just well, down there. And it kind of worked because it was soundproof, right? <laughs> so they had the room initi- exactly. soundproofed initially, so yeah. <laughs> that movie's super scary. Is that a zombie? No. <laughs> oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like back on the topic. Um, so like you said, Carolyn, like he had no idea what he was doing. Now he has been quoted as saying that like because it was like a time of rebellion, mm. and this is obviously from a different lens. Mm. Um, he was going to make a statement, and so um, he said that it was always the talk of the cast and the crew. Um, about making a statement which as he said was essentially it's people refusing to give up their agenda but when you look at it through the lens of oh these actors are interacting on screen and oh if you look at the lens as a as a black viewer or as a person of color it's kind of like oh this is actually a really really strong societal message on race Mm -hmm. Um, and it is one of the reasons why night of the living dead has persisted for so long because at this time um and I just finished Horror Noir um, as well, which is an amazing documentary about black horror cinema, and it is phenomenal. Um, and you all should watch it. It's on Shudder. Um, nope. At this time, I know, but you don't like horror. If you like horror, go watch it. But you don't even need to like horror to watch the documentary, right? Because I think a lot of the things that are discussed in the film applies to like film in general. That's fair. Well... That's fair. Also, I just, I don't like film documentaries. This one is really good. It's, like, really fun. Like, and it's really funny, too. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> um, but like they said, um, Ben was one of the first, like, black male protagonists in a horror movie that was a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had a large societal impact. And that was something that, although... Romero didn't mean to do he did become not only accepting of it but also pushed that forward towards the end of his career and and as he got um essentially he realized like oh this is what my film means to people instead of being one of those directors that's like that's not what it means he's like okay this is what it means to people this is obviously what it means so like I'm not gonna say that that's not what happens he he trusted his audience viewing him and he caused a ripple effect that has happened throughout horror since um and essentially i took a quote and it says um and it's from the atlantic the way night of living dead handles race is so essential to what makes it great all social norms break down when the event happens and a black man is caged up in a house with a white woman who is terrified but you're not sure how much she's terrified at the monsters or the outside or the man on the inside who is now the hero. And that's from Jordan Peele. Um, it was from one of the uh, articles published in The Atlantic that I got it from. Um, and it's just, he's essentially talking about the dynamic that ends up happening throughout the movie and how it pulls out. And this is... Um, Adrian, you saw Get Out, right? Yes, I've seen Get Out. Yeah. yeah. So the, at the end scene where he is over the crazy-ass lady... Mm. And the police car pulls up, and the camera zooms in on his face. Whoa, 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 and whoa! And it's at this lang- angle. What? Spoilers. Hey, it's it's a TSA. I, I know it's a TSA, but you think it's the police. <laughs> you think it's the police, and there's a reason for that. Okay. 
there's a close-up of him that's slightly tilted and when you put that close-up directly up against the close-up of one of the last shots of ben in the night of the living dead it's very similar however instead of it being the tsa and his friend saving him ben is actually shot and murdered in the house that he has just defended and is the last survivor of um and he's murdered by like just like these like random militia looking dudes and it's pretty much effective to, and this is one of like the, the large, and you can speak more to this, Carolyn, but this is also one of the lasting social images that it has as a movie because it's very effective to, um, you know, the black men being lynched in history and in society at this time because they end up, they, they audibly say, um, that's another one for the fire. Um, and then they pull them out on meat, on meat hooks and it is terrifying Whoa. to watch. Um, and it just alludes to it a lot, the, the meat hook piece, but you see them carrying them and you know that's what they're going to do. And then it ends with a, with a giant bonfire and it crushes you because it, this was your hero. And in other ways it crushes you because this is the very real violence that people are going through at the time. Okay, just kidding. I don't like zombies no more. <laughs> well, the thing is, is the, <laughs> yeah, but the thing sad. is, it wasn't the zombies that killed him, right? Because... The, the the thing that I remember, and I, I remember watching this because I was at my dad's house, and it was a Sunday, and I watched it because we used to watch a lot of Turner Classic movies, and um, Night of the Living Dead was one of the films that was showing on that Sunday. And I remember we were watching it, and it came to the end, and when he, I said, I, don't, I think it was about 10, maybe, and I said, there's no way he's going to die. I'm like, it can't. And as soon as I said that, bang, they shot him. I was like, oh. I, I was like, as a young child, like I focused mainly on the fact that he he was dead, the hero died. But it's only when I got older I realized, wait, so the black man who survived the terror that was killing everyone, who did his best to save all of these white people, who put his life at risk to save all these white people, turns around and gets killed by a bunch of white people without any hesitation. Now. At that time, in 1968, there, and again, it was the parallels between what was happening on film and what was happening in real life are like super close together. But then, when you, if you watch that film now, in 2019 or 2018, 2016, 2017, now all the stuff that was going on and all the killings that, were, that was going on by police, which the, which the, the militia was acting as in the film, it, like, it, the similarities is uncanny and it kind of shows you that how film, you know how we always say reality is stranger than fiction? But in, in cases like with horror, especially horror, because horror mimics a lot of um, reality, and especially if it's a social horror like um, Night of the Living Dead, there's things that you can't ignore. There's things that you can't say, oh, it's just film and it's just horror. I'm like, no, it isn't. Because um, in Hornora, there's a tagline where someone says, um, I think it's Tanana Rivdu, who said, horror is black horror, right? A lot of the things that affect people in film affect us, especially in films like this, affect us as black people. And it was like, I don't think there's a film apart from Get Out that exemplifies that more than Night of the Living Dead. And that was one of the things that I, because I remember watching it as I was, like, when I was younger, and I was like, I, I was asking my cousin, like, why did he die? Mm. Like, this isn't how movies are supposed to work. And, the hero is always supposed um, to live. Yeah. So it's it's a deep movie and it's one that the fact that it is this deep and this dark and this relevant 
and is why it has stayed at the center of a lot of and it was kind of unintentionally this deep too at least because it all just hinges on the fact that George Romero casted Dwayne Johnson because if it was a white man for me personally as a black woman it would not have the same impact as a film one um, and then as a story two it wouldn't have the same impact on me but because he did I think that was fortuitous or serendipitous or like fate or whatever that he cast Dwayne Jones because uh yeah the film wouldn't have the same I don't think the film the film would have had the same impact yeah yeah I I agree and I don't think it would have had as much lasting power Mm. but I think killing the hero it would have at the time it would have still had some impact but I agree that it would not be something that is getting into the Library of Congress and (laughs) being preserved for future generations to see um, because it wouldn't have been as relevant. Um, But all of this points to the main crux of zombies and what zombies serve as and why zombies are never just zombies is because zombies are the most human monster. They were human at one time and now they're not and they're we're confronted with ourselves when we fight them um so one of the other lenses that people have watched the movie from too has been um looking through the vietnam war through the lens Mm. um, looking at this through the lens of the vietnam war and so elliot stein a uh, cultural critic um of the village voice saw the film as an ardent critique of american involvement in the vietnam war arguing that it was not sent in Transylvania, but Pennsylvania. Mm. This was middle America at war, and the zombie carnage seemed a grotesque echo echo of the conflict raging in Vietnam. And then, ultimately, the largest, the the biggest piece of social horror is that we're watching, and I've already said it multiple times, but I'm going to hammer it home, they're us. Zombies are us. The people who kill Ben are us. Um, We're the people in the house. We're Ben. All of, like, none of this is outside the realm of possibilities. It isn't. And granted, they were made by a meteor strike. Um, I think is technically what it what is it technically that's, what I think it is. Yeah, that's what they thought it's, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it could have been a meteor. Uh, not confirmed. But ultimately, it's still all humans. And this um, this is why Night of the Living Dead serves as the, the crux of social horror. Um, and then Dawn of the Dead, which follows it is a heavy critique of capitalism and consumerism because at the end of the day, the zombies just keep going back to the mall. <laughs> um, the other but why, though, is copyright your damn work. That is the biggest but why, though. Um, if you are going to create anything, copyright it because Night of the Living Dead entered the public domain in the United States because its original, its original theatrical distributor... Um, the Walter Reed organization neglected to place a copyright wow. indication on the prints. In 1968, United States copyright law required that a proper notice for a work to ma- uh, for a work to maintain copyright. Image 10 displayed such a notice on the title frames of the film beneath the original title, "Night of the Flesh Eaters." Doesn't have a really catchy tone. No. They changed it to "Night of the Living Dead," and the distributor forgot to add the copyright statement on the new title card. Oh. That is. Yeah. What an, and what an because o- of that. What an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They've lost a lot of money because of it. Um, because of that, Night of the Living Dead uh, was not copyrighted and has had multiple VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray, release, Blu-ray releases, a lot of which George A. Romero did not see any money from. <laughs> 
the royalties um, my goodness yep yep um and remakes remakes comes directly out of that because if there is no copyright on your material people can just pick it up and run with it once it in, once it's in the public domain um so the first remake actually happened in 1990 and it was directed by special effects artist tom savini um if that name sounds familiar if you look up a picture of him you'll know who he is he's a really recognizable face um and it was based directly on the original screenplay but it included more gore and a revised plot that portrayed barbara <laughs> who is played by Patissa Tallman in this one, as a actual active and capable woman and not just telling people to run to the basement. Oh, yeah. Improvements were made. <laughs> and this was made with the approval of George Romero, actually. So this is the only remake that was made with his involvement. Um, and Tony Todd played Ben. And Tony Todd is one of, like, a, he's a horror icon pretty much candy uh, man, man if you don't know man. Uh, that still scares me do not say that another time sorry um, i know no more than two times <laughs> i will say more than two times um and then uh film historian barry grant saw the new barbara as a corrective on the part of romero um suggesting that he made the character stronger to rectify the depiction of the female characters in the original film um because romero as i said was involved with this and this is the only remake we're going to talk about because there are a lot of them a lot of them independent fan companies do it there's a 3d animation of it which tony todd's voice is in apparently <laughs> Um, there is a whole bunch of weird stuff, and ultimately, as of 2017, Amazon.com lists copies of Night of the Living Dead, numbering 15, so 15 of VHS, 121 different DVDs, 5 different Blu-rays, and 28 different Amazon video titles. Oh, the time of DVD when everybody could make one. <laughs> um, and you can actually view or download the video for free on a lot of sites um like the internet archive or youtube um because it's public domain mm -hmm. so no excuse to not watch it it's everywhere it's literally everywhere um it also brought on splatter horror um which i know you all give me a lot of crap for my subgenres and horror but it's a thing everything's a horror movie <laughs> everything is a horror movie matt <laughs> But you get a this movie. is specifically. Are we going to horrorception? Is that what's going to happen here? Yep. Oh my god! Awesome. Leave me alone. Favorite time. <laughs> my favorite time. Not only did Night of the Living Dead bring on the zombie subgenre, it does bring on the splatter horror subgenre. Splatter horror is a subgenre of horror film that deliberately focuses on graphic portrayals of gore and graphic violence. These time out, time what? out, time out. So, can a zombie movie be of the sub subgenre of a zombie horror movie plus a subgenre of now a splatter horror movie, which is also a zombie movie, which is also another subgenre, no, which just, is also of horror, which is another subgenre. <laughs> it's both things at once. So, splatter horror zombie movie is one subgenre, and then zombie no. movie is another subgenre, and then splatter horror itself is That's another. That's not subgenre. how it works, Matt. It's I think I got this down, Adrian. <laughs> yeah. I am more lost. <laughs> I didn't think that was possible. Also, Carolyn, just to pull you in on the joke, they make fun of me because I like to talk about the different subgenres of horror. Ah. All horror is the same. No, it's not. And <laughs> and this is this is what they do. 
Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Specifically, splatter horror films usually use this through special effects and display a fascination with the vulnerability of the human body and uh, theatrically of its own mutilation. Body horror is adjacent to this. So, splatter horror cinema is... <laughs> I like how she tried to cover that up so Matt wouldn't hear it. Wait a minute, what was that other one? Hold body on. horror is adjacent So, is this, this movie now a subgenre of a splatter no, horror, not. which is a subgenre of a zombie movie, which is a subgenre of a body horror movie? And comedy, you forgot about comedy. It is a comedy. It was written as one. It doesn't it doesn't act like one. That like that's one thing I never understood because it's classified or like they they made it out to be a horror comedy and never once do I feel that way. I am uneasy the entirety of the movie after the the first zombie pops up. Wait, which film are we talking about? We start talking about Night in the Living Dead, right? Yeah. What part of that film is supposed to be comedy? Right? Huh. <laughs> it was supposed to be. But you know what? People said the same thing about Get Out, and we were like, uh, Get Out has humorous elements but it is not funny there's a difference yeah, yeah. that movie's funny for like for the first five minutes until he yeah. gets to the house and everything after that is everything not exactly you're like <laughs> you know what is this ish is smelling fishy <laughs> like mm, something's <laughs> up um anyway um so this directly influenced movies like the reanimator evil dead and dead alive um, which are notoriously extremely gory movies. Anyway, zombies eating guts and things. This is where you get all of those pop, uh, popular shots of intestines and all of that. All that good stuff started here. None of that was in horror before this movie. Um, and this actually caused a really big controversy because there was no MPAA rating system in place at movie theaters before uh for a while actually after this but there wasn't one in place and essentially it was shown in a saturday afternoon matinee with preteens and children in the audience that's good for them they needed that (laughs) um and this is what they saw uh so a lot of critics uh gave romero a lot of um a lot of crap for it and this was one of the reasons why it took a while for the walking or for the walking dead that's why it took a while for the night of the living dead to become uh, critically acclaimed because it was so shocking to watch on screen especially realizing that kids could watch it um which is tamed in like to today's standards because now you have torture porn and all that stuff happening with like Eli Roth and I can't watch any of that. Anymore. Yeah, I don't do torture prone. Um, I used to be able to stomach it and now I'm just like, this is too much. No, I can't do no like any of the Saw thing. films. No, nothing like that. I used to be able to. I can, I, I can do the first two Saw films. After that, mm-hmm. I'm done. I've never seen it any of them. increasingly bad. The first one's not So the first bad. one's amazing. Yeah. I love the first Saw movie. Yeah, I would. That's like the only, I guess. Well, I technically not the only horror movie because I don't know what subgenre of a subgenre we got. <laughs> but what movie I count as horror, probably one of the only actual movies I consider horror that I actually enjoy. Yeah, and that one's not too bad on the 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 gore gore. Um, it, it's bad, but not too not like the other ones. Doesn't matter. The end is just amazing. Yeah, the end is really good. Um, and as we've talked about through this entire thing, the final but why though is that it is the progenitor, and I really wanted to use that word because it just sounded really cool <laughs> to use it this because it's. Uh, but it's the progenitor of the modern zombie movie. It is the reason we have all of the zombies that we have today. Um, before this, as 
as Carolyn talked about, it was all based on the Haitian idea of a zombie. So it was about um, a body being controlled. And that body is still alive. Oh, the body is dead, but it's being controlled and kept somewhere. Or it was some, something that was hypnotized and kept alive. So uh, White Zombie and I Walked with the Zombie are two of like the first zombie films. Um, they're incredibly bad. Don't watch them ever. Just start with George A. Romero and go forward. You, you don't need that, mm. that in your life. Um, uh, and so essentially what happens after this is you get reanimated corpses that eat the flesh of people. Um, and for Adrian and Matt, he said that zombies eat brains. Never once did it say in here that zombies ate brains. And there's actually very few instances on screen of zombies eating brains. Yeah, there's... That's a... I know they eat brains in warm bodies. Um, and I'm trying to think, because generally in films they eat flesh, but I know warm bodies Mm -hmm. is the only one that's coming to mind where they specifically target the brain. I zombie. And I zombie, zombie, right, yeah. They only eat brains. Yeah, they only eat brains so, in that one. So, um, Borderlands is a DLC that's called Zombie. I think it's pretty much a Zombie Land where all they do is yell brains. Yeah, that's kind of. Uh, I'm doing. pretty sure Red Dead Redemption DLC. They also. Eat oh, brains. the game. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we have references. All this to say is that popular culture yeah. says brains. Yes. Popul- and, and that's and that was the point. Why? Why? Popular why culture? is that? Why is that a thing? Do you know why? No. I, I don't know why, actually. I looked it up and I couldn't find it. It's the same reason why, like, I couldn't really find the first person who called um, Romero's zombies zombies. Um, it's just something that happened. Yeah. Which hmm. is really hmm. interesting. Because um, usually there's a citation for when something like this shifts. Yeah. Well, I think it, de- well, I think it depends on the Because, mo- like I said, the games, usually they have the zombies target, like, or yell brains out of fun stuff. And then I think, like, when we go to the... Don't some of, like, the more comedy zombies, like, go yeah. with the brain like, stuff? Like, like, uh, zombie and Warm Bodies. Yes, and then Shaun of the Dead, doesn't they do also do brains mm, in that one? Like, I don't think no. so. No, they, they go for Sean the body. Says I, couldn't remember at the, I couldn't remember at the end if he's just sitting there eating a brain or not. When he has him locked in the oh, shed. Right, because he has yeah. Ed locked in the shed, right? Chained in, yeah. 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 I don't think he's eating a brain in that, though. I think he's just okay. locked in the shed. I mean, that's fair. That's I think fair. he's just locked in the, in the shed with the TV. Yeah, because they play the video games. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is totally a Gizmodo thing that I just Googled, so I don't, don't, this isn't Kate's, like, actual research. Uh, but this thing says the first featured movie to have zombies eating brains was Return of the Living Dead in 1995. Mm, okay. So that's, like, way after, yeah. actually. Like, super after. So, and what I want to know is, if, is that, is that what started it, or were people saying brains before, and then that's why it got done? Before that. Interesting. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. Now I'm curious. Um, yeah. Uh, so this. Do is... zombies poop? Was a question that was also asked in this article. <laughs> I don't know. That's okay, a good question. So uh, Max Brooks, horror writer, the guy behind World War Z and stuff, he actually put together a really detailed breakdown of uh, zombie anatomy, mm. zombie like lore. He essentially took together all types of zombie lore and then like distilled it into like a book, like a. Kind of like an anatomy book yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, and any anatomist yeah. showed that uh, World War Z was impossible. Yes. Because blood doesn't move that fast. Yeah. Blood doesn't move that fast, but also essentially zombies would just eat until their stomach falls out. Yeah, because they, cause they, they, um, they lack impulse control, right? Or they lack the thing that would turn off. Yes. No, not that they lack impulse then, control. They have impulse control. They lack the, the, the part of the brain that should be functioning, which would say, okay, you're full, would be dead. Exactly. And yes. so they just keep eating. Yeah. And then because they're not truly alive, 
they can't get rid of the waste. So yeah. they just eat until their stomach falls out, and then they just keep eating after that. Too. Which kind? Yeah, but nobody's gonna make a movie but that's long. That enough was time. actually addressed once, once in The Walking Dead, and that was in the was yeah season da, 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 three when Laurie dies, because remember oh, that's right. they find um, Carl finds the Walker in the thing where he and my remember Maggie had to cut out perform the c-section on laurie and yeah. there was a walker and that was its guts were like stuffed yeah yeah so they think that was the oh, only time that was ever addressed that, it was in the terrifying. walking dead it like scarred carl yeah that was also one of the last times i actually liked carl yeah because i think that zombie had eaten i'm trying to remember if the zombie had eaten laurie or they had it because i remember there was a thing with the ring and i was like yeah, I it thought did it, eat in Lori. Yeah, I thought it was. It did eat Lori, right? Yeah. Because they had to take the baby yeah. away and she was in the room and it came and found her and just gorged on her. Yeah. But yeah. So I think that was the only time that was ever addressed in the film. I mean, in the show, sorry, in the show. So all of this is to say. Back when, back when the walk. Oh my gosh. Oh. <sighs> yeah. Um, so I have some breakdowns. Mm-hmm. I have Resident Evil, which is science zombies. Yes. So zombies being made through science. It isn't a natural effect. It is a company that manufactured um, the T-virus. is supposed to be used in cosmetic products to make your skin better and bring make you younger. And they were supposed to sell it for a lot of money, but then it ended up reanimating people. And then they decided to focus on making that as a military thing. And then Raccoon City was overtaken by zombies. No way. They took a virus and they made it military? Who <laughs> thought? Who would ever do something so insane? <laughs> um, and then we have fast zombies because um, Resident Evil zombies for the longest time are not fast they just stumble around mm-hmm. um, fast zombies 28 days later as well as uh, Dawn of the Dead 2003 I can't remember which one came first I think 28 days later comes first but this is where the debate comes is 28 later, eight days later a zombie movie because the people are not reanimated they're just infected with a rage virus. So technically, they don't fit uh, Carolyn's definition of a zombie. Yeah, to me, they're not. They, to me, they don't um, fall under necessarily zombie. Because to me, zombie, you have to die. And your, I think it's what your neurocortex has to get overridden by whatever viruses. And that's what reanimates you and it brings back. Um, so they're infected. But they weren't fully dead. So they never died. So for me, a zombie is something you have to be declared medically dead. You have to be dead for at least a minute or whatever, and then come back to be considered a zombie. That's under in by my definition. So would yes, they be Carolyn, ghouls? But what is dead? What if their soul is dead during that transition? You, I don't mean, wonder how it has. Because all do I'm with thinking about, all I'm thinking about is that scene in Twenty Eight Days Later where the crow drops that blood in that dude's yeah. eyeball and. That dude's well, dead. That's not the same person. His brain is But he rewired. didn't he doesn't he didn't die. Like his heart didn't stop. As I say you have to be you have to be what we would call clinically dead. So now you mentioned the soul, and that's interesting because in warm bodies, that's actually addressed because warm bodies they, they actually come back alive because their souls they weren't fully dead. It was kind of like they were in a there it was kind of like they're were in a what's the word I want to look for? Uh a stasis kind of thing because they in warm bodies what happens are which is played by nicholas holt he's the first um zombie because he, he's dead but like he they, he still communicate he can communicate with his friend and like they make grunts and noises and occasionally make eye contacts and stuff but 
they're dead but not really dead because he didn't have a heartbeat right and medically you have to be you have to be considered dead if your heart stops beating because you can't be brain dead you, you, you can't be brain dead and still be considered medically alive but you're only considered medically dead once your heart stops beating and it has to have and it has to stop and it has to be flatlined for a why, specific amount of time why can't why can't it just be a subgenre why? of zombie you're just being you're just being <laughs> facetious now <laughs> But I do so warm is, bodies, isn't that the like the young adult? Yeah, it's a young yes. adult. Yeah, hey, it's clinically movie. underrated. I really like that movie. Okay. It's a really good movie. Okay, it's really funny. Okay, maybe maybe we maybe you have to check that one out because that one I remember the trailers and I'm like I'm not. Watching. No, you should you should watch it. It does have a tiny bit of gore, but because that's one of the ones where they eat head and um, brains too. But yeah. it's kind of like it's like a lighthearted, it's more twisted rom com. Yeah, or like a rom, like yeah, it's more akin to like a funny like. It's morbid more than horrific. Is not necessarily the main thing. Yeah, it's more morbid than horrific. Yeah, it, it's really good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't want to see Rob as a zombie man. <laughs> not Rob Zombie, but like the actor. <laughs> Rob Cord Cord. I never said his last name. Cord Cordry Cordry. Uh, M. In the That's Nicholas Holt. Yeah. Dang, who the hell are you talking about, Adrian? The main guy, <laughs> I was like, I thought the main guy was Nicholas Holt. No, no, that he's R. I'm talking about Oh, his yeah, friend. oh, yeah, 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 you're right. He's R, Nicholas Holt is oh. R, his friend is M. Yeah, right, yeah. Who's he? He's yeah, yeah, Rob, to... Rob Corddry. Corddry. Oh, let me... It's been... he's, he's a zombie in that one, man, and he's he's hilarious. Yeah, I need to look it up because... I haven't seen it in a long time. In the oh, Rob Corddry. Okay, I don't know that man's name. He's one of those side actors that you know the face. But you don't know the name. <laughs> I'm looking in my... No. He's hit, or, he's, hit, he's hit or miss with me. Sometimes he goes full Andy Sandberg, and I can't do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, him. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No, I'm looking up the thing on IMDb. Yeah, I know that actor, yeah. Oh, yeah. Adrian's going, what? Because Matt is, once again, declaring that he hates Andy Sandberg on the podcast. <laughs> but, like, how... No, I don't really... To me, he's like, eh. I don't, like, yeah. he's not really my radar, so... <laughs> But, like, the connection isn't... He hosted Shark Week. That's a disgrace. <laughs> but, okay, so back to different movies. We got Warm Body. 28 Days Later, we are declaring that they are just rage It humans. is. So, officially, it is an infection horror movie. But if you look up any top horror movie, any top zombie movies, it gets brought up. Um, so, so, the only thing I like about that movie... Okay. The only thing I do like about that movie is the theme song of that movie is amazing. Oh, for was really good. For Warm 20 Bodies? Days no, later. 28 Days, 28 days later. later. 28 Days Later. Um, yeah, so the next movies are zombie comedies, which there are a lot of in the 80s. Um, Evil Dead, one of them. Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2. Bruce Campbell being the amazing final boy, Ash. Um, directed by Sam Raimi. They're great movies. You should watch them. But Shaun of the Dead is probably the one that mm -hmm. most people know. Simon Pegg, the first it's of the true. Cornetto trilogy with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, um, mm -hmm. which did an amazing job. And I don't like everybody knows how good this is, but like it's great from a comedic standpoint, but it's also great as a horror fan because they live out every damn trope in almost every damn zombie movie you can think of. And yeah, they, they just went full tilt. Yep. I mean, they even end up in a bar in the dumb decision of, like, we can be here. <laughs> oh, and it's for his girlfriend. Well, it was there. They do make dumb decisions it for was his for girlfriend. His... Oh, yeah, they do. Because <laughs> they end up in the bar, like, I will save you, and they end up in this bar, like, we'll end up here. 
And his girlfriend was terrible, mm. wasn't she? She was terrible. She was mean. Yes. Yeah, she was terrible. We, we should have left her. Yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, these things. Happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's everybody's thoughts on Shaun of the Dead and their zombies? I love that film. It's hilarious. I, I watched it a couple times when it came first came out, and I loved it. it was, it's utterly ridiculous. And I love British comedy because I find British yes. humor yes. is kind of like, I would say, um, Barbadian humor, where it's very dry and sarcastic. <laughs> And I love that kind of humor. I love British comedies. Like one of my favorite comedies is um, "Are You Being Served?" Why does that sound? Or um, or or a show um, "Keep It Up Appearances." Uh, "Are You Being Served?" was like yes, minister was like this one. These people worked in a a, a department store, and so like there was like I think the I've manager. Seen yeah, and then there was "Keep It Up Appearances" with Miss Bouquet or Miss B- uh, my girl Miss. B- Are you Miss Bouquet's resident lady of the house speaking? <laughs> Um, but no, I love like English comedy. So like when I watched Shaun of the Dead, I'm like, this is right up my alley because we got horror and British comedy all amalgamated into one. And it's like, I love when they know that things are being are ridiculous and they just lean full into the ridiculousness of everything. They're like, we're we're gonna take it up every notch we can to just like outdo every scene. I also think the best use of Queen in a movie is in Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Zombie killing to don't stop me now this, is perfect. Don't stop. Me. Yeah, yeah, that's the one with the the jukebox, yep. right? And they're just like banging out the guy. With the thing. Yeah. Um. Then you have popular zombies, which you kind of talked a little bit about, The Walking Dead, um, which uh, that probably deserves its own episode when the se- when the current season wraps up, because um, that's kind of going to be the last for a lot of the people that we started the show with, and I no longer care. Or I stopped caring when they got to Terminus. So. I stopped caring, I've said this a lot on Twitter, but like, I almost stopped caring when Glenn died, but I held on because of Michonne, literally because of Michonne, um, Rick, and Carl, and Maggie. After Glenn died, like, they were the, literally the only Abraham reasons died. I were, I almost stopped watching because of that. I held on, and then did the, the, the whole fake out, and then the whole mess with Nika's story, like, atrociousness, oh, garbage, crap, and I'm like... Done. It's the first time I've ever stopped watching a show and I did not miss it. Like I was sometimes I think, oh, I used to watch this show. Really? <laughs> Talk yeah, about taking a nose diving quality. I don't break. miss it. Yeah. It's like I don't miss it. I, like... I, I really, really enjoyed to like not caring so fast. And like I've like, like I I started writing because of The Walking Dead. I started writing because I used to do recaps for The Walking Dead. That's much I love that show. That's how I started doing deciding to pursue like film criticism and television and writing about film and TV because of the friggin' Walking Dead and they just shit all over that. <laughs> Fix me so upset. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Listen, cool. if we ever do a Walking Dead thing and I ever go on it, I will be like I would have to work and go and like calm myself down because like I get upset just thinking I've never seen a show that went from being so good to being complete trash. That's completely fair. I only watch it because I'm a completionist. That's the only. I, I'm usually like that, but I give up. I can't. I can't do. I cannot put myself through that horror anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that to me is the real horror story right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's so good. Okay, so um, since we talked about World War Z, we're going to skip past that and go straight to Train to Busan and Kingdom. <laughs> some Korean zombies because. That's literally the only one I wanted to talk about was World War Z. Oh well. I know. Oh, <laughs> we can go back. Of all the movies, the only one I was like, we can go back to World War Z too. No, 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 we'll go back. 
Well, no, no, he? we're gonna move on. We're, you've already killed no. it for me. I get how this goes. I'll just take my fine. There's, there's always one. Uh, there's one point in every episode where I do this to him. <laughs> oh no. No, so World War Z is based on Max Brooks's <laughs> world of zombies. He did the zombie survival guide, and he did the World War Z books. These zombies are really yes. cool. They're pretty much hybrids. They are very, very fast. They eat flesh, but they also have a dormant period where they move very, very slowly or don't move at all. So they're kind of like everything mm -hmm. in a zombie, and it's terrifying. Um, the movie, I did not know I was going to love as much as I do. Yeah, exactly. Considering nothing, like, happens. Yeah, oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> he gets some medicine. Like, for the most part, like, I actually enjoy the movie, but when you look at it and you break it down, the actual movie, nothing really happens other than they go on a plane and they, like, fly around, do a little investigation, and then he takes some medicine. Even though they have the weird part where the poor little scientist dude at a college shoots himself. That was depressing. That movie got dark <laughs> real quick in that moment. It was halfway out of nowhere, and it, I don't know if we're supposed to laugh at that part, but it was very, like, It weird was jarring. Because yeah. they're just, they're like, oh, we're all going to go save stuff. And then, like, the youngest scientist out of all of them decides to kill himself. I'm just like. <gasps> he doesn't decide. He slips and trips. Yeah, because that's how he got shot, right? Yeah, yeah he slips and he shoots himself on accident. He doesn't oh, kill himself. He, he trips. Himself. No, he trips no, he walking out of the plane. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, he trips walking out of the plane and shoots that himself. That's really sad. And everybody's like, oh. We're the people that's supposed to save the world, and our scientists just tripped out of a plane. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> it's very dark, and it's kind of um, definitely dark, like humor if you laugh at it. But it was like we're going to save the world, and then they <laughs> literally trip out of a plane. Like, oh, and there's our only hope. <laughs> I know that was so ridiculous. I'm like, what the hell? I will say this: I do think that Brad Pitt's character was the smartest person I've ever seen in a zombie movie because he immediately goes into like, "I'm gonna assess what's happening around happening around me. I'm gonna count out how long it takes for somebody to turn." Like he actually mm. uses like common sense, and it gets him pretty yeah. far. The only thing I don't like about the movie is the plane crash because it like we got absurd. I was oh, like, please yeah. don't do it. Please don't do it. The no, wall of zombies or the, the the zombies climbing on a mountain over the wall that that was an absurd. Yeah. The plane crash nope. was absurd. But yep. no, the, the zombies creating like a thing that actually makes sense because they're they That's they all fair. have one driving yeah. force, right? So they're gonna just. Yeah. Like they're gonna, together. because it's it's the same thing in Train to Busan with the train. Remember that mm -hmm. at the close to the end with the train where they're all like holding onto the train and it's basically the same yeah. thing. And the train eventually slows on strictly because of their weight. Terrifying. Yeah, no. Which we can move to that movie now. We got to talk about. It. I'm good. <laughs> I know Carolyn's been wanting to talk about it. No, 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 go back. But it just it, it's, it's like that's the two moments. That's oh, that, that's the that's segue. the moment where like you have like where like zombies acting as a real horde actually yeah. makes yes. sense. Okay, Train to Busan and Kingdom. <laughs> because a lot of the zombie movies that we see are, um, when it comes to horror movies in general, this is probably one of, uh, this and Exorcisms, these are two of the things that are almost uh, like uniquely American like type films. Um, in that the majority of them, we the majority of them are produced in the US, right? Because like, Yes. Movies based on ghosts, that's everywhere. Movies on seances, that's everywhere. But 
out of those categories. World War Z wasn't in America, huh? was it? World War Z wasn't in America. It was an American. It was writer. filmed in the Middle East, um, like Tel Aviv, I think. Was no, it? No, it was in yeah. there. I like Max Brooks is from the U.S. Well, oh. the beginning. St- well, it goes all over the world because yeah. it begins so, in the yeah. U.S. So where I'm Brad talking- Pitt meets his family, and then it goes to the Middle East yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I'm talking about like where the horror movie came from, not like where they go in the horror movie. Yeah. Oh, you mean the R.E.S. Oh, yeah, so, okay. okay. Yeah. I, was, I was like, they go over where the first. Yeah. No. 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 no, no. Was, I'm talking patient, about where okay. the creator okay. of the. So like when it comes to okay, horror, okay, okay. there are a My lot bad. of things. There are a lot of genres that happen. Is it the production? Yeah. But okay. uniquely, two of the two of those two of the subgenres are exorcism and zombie that we get the majority of. We don't only mm-hmm. we don't only have them, but those are two things that have defined American horror. Um, and so to see um, Train to Busan come up, it was it was amazing. And the moment that got on Netflix, was I was I was back amazing. on zombies. Ah, um, uh, I did I first watch it on Netflix. No. Oh. Yes. I watched Train to Busan online because of Gang Yu. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What's that? But anywho, we'll get into that later. Gang Yu, that's the lead actor. That's oh, my boo that's from right. um Coffee Prince and Goblin. Hey! Oh, I'm sorry. I have not seen Goblin yet because it is not available in, in the U.S. anymore. And all the sites I, I have to say. To. Because it was mainly host, it was hosted mainly on Drama Fever, but they went defunct of in, in uh, last year, and it was completely heartbroken. I'm gonna send you a link. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Train Busan <laughs> is a basic South Korean horror movie where essentially they get on a train and somebody is in, um, and Korea is going through a zombie outbreak. One person is affected on the train, and of course you're in close quarters. Zombies break out everywhere, and it's really cool because you see them run, and they're fast zombies. It's a fast-acting infection, so like it doesn't even like kill you, and then you turn. Like it, it's kind of like the World War Z one. Like you turn as you're there. Like it's not like Walking Dead. <laughs> I'm sick and I'm dying. Now I'm a zombie. There's no time to react. It's almost instantaneously. Um, they also go dormant when it's dark. Um, which is really cool. So they still stand up and everything. They're still there. But if it's dark, they stay hidden because they can't see is what it kind of establishes. But when they hear sound, I love that so they'll much. attack. Um, I love that so much. It's so good. The way that I utilize in the film so is I, one of the best things I've seen in years. Okay. So try to Busan. So it's a 2016 film directed by... Young um Young Sano and written by Young Sanyo um Young Sango and Park Jusuk. So and it stars Gong Yu, Madan Suk, and Kim Suwan. Now this film it starts out one what I love about this film as typically most our fil- um, films does it starts out very seemingly mundane because it's like um Gong Yu's character, he is a corporate guy. He's work he works for a pharmaceutical company. I think it's a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical company. And they, there was something that was going on, and there was a mistake that was made. It, it, it seems like it's his mistake, but he's claiming responsibility for it. When it, I don't think it was because it, what happened can't be res- the responsibility of one person. But I knew this film was going to be the ish when in the opening scene there's a dare. Now, I'm not going to spoil anything. You have to see this scene to believe this scene. This thing, I've never been a terrified of a dare to train to Busan. I was like, what? 
the hell is, is going to happen in this freaking movie. And then he goes, and then the thing with the Train to Busan, it's not just about zombies. It has a story about a father-daughter relationship. And there's a relationship between husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, friends. It has a lot of different relationships that, that they actually take time to explore. And given the pace of the film, I think the director did an amazing job of balancing the stories because you get to know each character. You get to appreciate them and grow to actually like them and you want them to survive and you root for all of them. And so you, it's set in a bullet train. So this is the first, this is the thing. You have a zombie film set on a bullet train. And what makes a bullet train so effective as a set piece for a film like this is because it, it has one direction. It keeps the it keeps the pace of the movie going because so, you have to follow the pace of the train. And it, it you you have you start from point A and you're gonna end up at point Z. And you have stops and starts because the train makes stops. And the challenge is is, is like you you normally as a person who rides the train, you want the train to make a stop because you want to get off. And and that's one of the things I found kind of interesting because as someone who rides the train regularly here in Toronto, I was like, you're I am accustomed to being on a train and like when something goes wrong, like there's always this sense of exasperation you're like oh oh no what could it be now but with this film when the train stops you're like uh no i don't want to describe i'm you're not exasperated you're terrified because you're like what new horror is gonna walk through this is gonna come crashing through this door and 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 it, and it does happen at one of the train stop at one of the train stations this is where it's really like the the, the pace of the film really went up and they they got off because they were looking to find out what happened because they 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 didn't know they were receiving all their information by phone and then eventually the phone services were cut out and so they had they literally had normally you know we would say why are you getting out stay on the train whatever but it came where they where you actually understood why they had to leave the train and it makes sense to the plot and then they realize there's a horde of these fast ridiculously fast-paced zombies just like coming at you and they come out like in like a wave so they're kind of so that's why i mentioned they, they the the zombies in world war z are kind of like that because these ones they like you know like they they, they move as a true whore they like move as like just a wave of like bodies coming at you and then you they make it back to train and then it's like more attention because they don't understand this the true six before they didn't have a real idea of what was going on in the film but now they do and that's when they're realizing like okay we have to come with a plan and this is what i always talk about this with the with train to busan one of the things i love about this film which is many is they all come up with a plan so like there's a core group of um there's a core group and they all come up with a plan and they stick to the plan nothing like in night of the living dead where ben is like you know what let's do this how about we do this and and you have barbara and her and her husband are saying no let's go do this other thing no none of that foolishness a train to busan they all came up with a plan and they stuck to the plan and it worked for a time being <laughs> and the reason it well when you i'm not going to spoil it because i always want people to watch this movie but the reason it stopped work the reason why the plan didn't work it was because of something that someone else did and this is all because of the arrogance of man and this is where uh, the film also this app discusses class and and a class and um you know like class distinctions where you have the haves and the have nots and the rich want to be separated from what they, they consider from the poor so like this is how the director actually discussed class in a very clever way though actually pointing out that this is what the discussion is about and i just love this film the action is ridiculous madam um suck is amazing you love his character they're all like badass even the little girl is like she's so sweet and like the relationship between the 
the the family and, and the friends is amazing. I just love this film. <laughs> well, I do, and it has one of the most heartbreaking endings it ever. Really and does. it's not heartbreaking because it's it it's heartbreaking. There's two things. It's heartbreaking because there's a moment that's like super sad, like you're sobbing tears down your face, and then there's a moment at the very end where you're sobbing out of relief because you're like, oh my god, you're like, okay, ah, even then there's a song and it makes you want to cry. Almost have another bed moment where it's like people yes like, for a moment you think like it you don't yeah just watch it. it 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 does it one of the great things and what has made great zombie movies great is because they're able to pull off that tension and i would say recently train to busan is the only really good um zombie movie mm-hmm. that i've seen and ultimately because i i don't know if you guys because i know adrian matt y'all haven't seen train to busan but have y'all seen snow peacer Snow Paris is another great one. And that's a Korean and that's actually directed by a Korean director because oh, wow. it's directed by the same director who did Okja and another that. and another famous Korean um, horror movie called The Host. I've seen The Host. I love The Host. Okay. Well, cuz I was going to yeah, say so it's the same director. If you've seen Snowpiercer, that type of pacing throughout the cars that happens in Snowpiercer, that's the type of pacing that happens in Train to Busan and it's exactly like how you said uh Carolyn because the the nature of the train itself pushes it along and it doesn't miss yeah. a damn beat. It's really good. All I know is that I listen to my wife yell in the other room for two hours and then she cried like unconsolably for like 30 minutes after the movie ended. So Tears, I'm not Matt. watching this movie. <laughs> Adrian, I'm telling you, like, I was a... So- I've watched this film three, four times already because we did it twice for... Um, Saturday Night Sci-Fi because it's literally one of my favorite films. I would put it in my top five films of all time of any genre. And I am a sobbing mess at <laughs> the end. Tears. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even make, exaggerating. Like, tears will be coming down my face. I'll be like, oh my God, my heart. And it's very rare that an action movie and a horror film is able to, like, make you cry for two very different reasons. As I said, there is a moment you cry because of absolute despair, but then you cry out of like pure joy and, and release and relief. And it's like, yeah. ah, I love this film. And I will say this. I didn't think about it until you said it. There aren't stupid decisions in the movie. Like there are stupid decisions, but they're, they're antagonistic one. decisions. Like people yes. are purposely trying yes. to sabotage other people. And Sa- that's why the decisions That's the beauty made. of it. Like that is, like there aren't dumb decisions in this movie. Like people purposely do mm. things. Of knowing the yeah, people make their, what we call what the the bad decision that we call we call them bad because they put everybody they put people in jeopardy because of selfishness because of selfishness and not because it was a stupid decision because technically there's a particular character who does make a bad decision and what he does is what he did is technically smart but it was a bad decision because it was out of arrogance and pure selfishness and because he thought he was he deserved he his life was worth more than everyone. Yeah. So, so, yeah, no one makes a stupid decision yeah. in this film. No one. So, at the end of the day, we really wanted to cover this, or I really wanted to cover Night of the Living Dead, because it is extremely influential in an entire subgenre of horror. It's extremely influential in horror um, more largely. Um, and I think it's something that, as we've gotten further and further away from it, especially with so many zombies being pumped into pop culture, we've forgotten a lot of the societal impact the societal um the the societal uh, mirroring that zombie movies did before and it's important to kind of pay attention to that oh thoughts on night of living dead and what we just talked about for zombies 
Uh, zombies are cool. Even though my zombies aren't zombies, apparently, which makes me sad. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's cool. Um, I think I mean, we covered this a little bit in, in episode eight, and we didn't cover it nearly as much as we should have. And I, we didn't really even cover, like, zombies. Like, this isn't, like, the point of this episode, right? But, like, the genre itself is so big with all of its subgenres and all that stuff. So I learned a whole bunch more than we got to cover in our horror episode. So thank you, Carolyn, for coming on. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, I wish The Walking Dead was better, and I am ready to get my zombie fix in Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, Game of Thrones has zombies. Mm. Ice yeah, zombies. Yeah. Ice zombies. Ice zombies. Another subgenre of zombies. They <laughs> they actually die and come back, so they fit they fit the bill. <laughs> they do. They do. Matt. Um. <clears throat> Thanks, Carolyn, for coming on. It was very enjoyable. Had a lot of fun. Um, I guess I like zombies a little more than <laughs> what I did before I started this episode, but not by much. <laughs> There's a slight improvement, still, slight more appreciation. Yeah. Um, I still like the 28 Days Later theme song, even though I don't think I've ever seen the actual movie, or at least all of it. I have seen the crow part. Um, I like World War Z. I like Shaun of the Dead, and the rest of them are what they are. And I might watch Warm Bodies only depending on things. <laughs> That's right. No, War- Warm Bodies is really good. Warm Bodies is good. <laughs> so I got like five zombie movies. Out of all the rest of the horror movies, you're, you're doing okay, zombies, compared to what I watch. But Carolyn, you should. But to be fair, though, it was good. Night of the Living Dead, we see it tend to be in a lot of stuff. Um, I didn't. I don't really care for black and white movies. It's sometimes really hard to watch. Um, but. We'll say, Carolyn, you need to watch at least Saw. I'm going to go watch Warm Bodies, and you need to watch Saw 1. Don't watch the rest no. of them. Just that <laughs> one. Just the first I've seen one. Scenes, I've seen scenes from Saw 1. Uh, no. <laughs> just no, the, no, fir- no. the first one's not that bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. I would rewatch uh, Final Destination. Ooh, I love Final Destination. Would that count? I'd rewatch Final no, Destination. I love those films. No, that one's not uh, bad. One, first one and two are better than three. Three was A. Yeah. That's it. Another one of those, the first two aren't bad. I can count it. After that, don't it's they don't exist. <laughs> um, I'm not going to get my final thoughts because this entire episode was my final thoughts. And I I said in the new year I was going to do more horror episodes. So here we are. Um, Carolyn, what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts are... I love horror films. And I love horror films that, are, that have a message and they have a plot and they have a story and... Zombie movies can be very effective for that because, as you said, they're like a reflection of us. They they show like the breakdown of society and how humanity, how we turn against ourselves. One and two, how when how easy it is for us to 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 like disassociate ourselves with the other. It's about it's about setting ourselves up, which I think is done really well in um, Land of the Dead, um, which is another George A. Romero film. Like where there there is like it show, like and also with. Um, warm bodies where like once they they because they came back to life and you're like and so it's, it's a discussion of what makes humans humans is it our soul is it just being the ability to breathe and move and walk what is it that makes us human so that's i think what a great that's why i think zombies are a great narrative tool and again watch kingdom watch train busan both on netflix <laughs> and um you know the branch out like even if, and if it's not your cup of tea there's nothing wrong with that everyone has their preferences everyone has their things that turn them off and that 
that they just don't do. So if it's not your cup of tea, again, it's fine to turn it down. I mean, that's probably what David should have done in Get Out, but, you know. <laughs> turn out that cup of tea. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Carolyn, for coming on. Um, why don't you tell everybody listening where they can find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter. I tweet a lot. I tweet a lot about film, television. Um, I host, I co-host a Saturday night sci-fi live tweets every Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, where we do sci-fi themed films. Um, you can find me at, at Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2 uh, on Twitter. I write, I co-host a podcast called So Here's What Happened with Lanisha Campbell, and which is also hosted by the book. Why the podcast community? So you can find our podcast on on there as well. And we discuss film, television, and books. We discuss our top picks for the month, and we go through our reviews, which is a critical analysis of the, why we like things and why something may not work, why films suck, why books suck, and why they're also great. Um, I'm a film and TV critic, so I am published in Sci-Fi on uh, Sci-Fi Fangirl, Sci-Fi.com, The Root, and a whole and a few other websites as well. And if you need someone to guest host on podcasts and talk about film, that's me. As always, you can find the podcast at ButWeatherPC on all social medias. If you haven't yet, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. It really, really helps us out, and it's the best way to show your support. And as always, you can find me at OhMyMythRandier on Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. Matt? You can find me in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> Safest place to be, Matt. Safest place to be. <laughs> Seek higher ground. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>